y'all notice that awkward silence about 25 seconds early? Some of you are looking up here like, all right, Dad, aren't you supposed to be going up there? Well, it's great to see you guys today, and um, I wanted to encourage any of you who've been visiting here at Grace. Um, we are going to have a visitor's luncheon on April the 3rd, immediately following the service in the fellowship room, and we'd love to have you. There's a sign-up sheet uh, in the fellowship hall. We'd love to uh, just fellowship with you and get to know more about you as you get to know more about who we are and uh, what we do here at Grace. It's very important that if you're visiting a church, that um, the central theme be the gospel of Christ and Jesus Christ. His word be upheld, and I know that um, those who've been members here at Grace for a long period of time can testify, I believe, that the word of God and the gospel of Christ is the central theme here at Grace. And that's what we do, that's who we are, uh, that's what we uphold, and I encourage you, if you're visiting with us, to be a part of that luncheon on April the 3rd. Did you notice I gave you sermon notes for today? So if you wanted to leave about 11.15 or 11.20, you've got the message right in front of you. You can just, you know, read it on your way home. I wanted to give you that. I also wanted to encourage you. There are notes from 1 John uh, chapter 1, and they're in the fellowship hall, one of those tables out there. I think it's right under that missions map, but um, if you wanted to pick, pick some notes up from that first chapter. I wanted to uh, begin this morning by uh, reading the passage we'll be dealing with uh, today. So if you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 John <clears throat> chapter 2, we will be in verses 3 through the first part of verse 5. Sometimes you can look out and go, well, today's going to be one of those days. Here we go. We're going to wake up, right? We need to stand up and stretch or whatever. So let's stand up and let's read uh, God's word uh, together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. So let's commit that to the Lord this morning as we go to him in prayer. Lord, um, your word... Uh, for us, it is our lifeline to you. We thank you that you have revealed to us through your word your will for our lives. We thank you that you have given to us that our believers, your spirit who indwells us, who teaches us, who leads us into all the truth. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we... Um, endeavor to understand better what you have said, that your spirit would teach us that we would be open and receptive to your word and the challenge that comes from your word today. I want to pray, Lord, that 
Um, we are ready to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And I pray most of all that you are honored and that you alone are glorified. In the precious name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm like that. I hope you guys came ready to worship. I did this morning. And um, I wonder if we can join Job, uh, join our hearts together this morning, and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, if the sun's shining down on you, and your world is all as it should be, everything's going just hunky-dory, uh, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And on the flip side of that, um, when things are in disarray, when we're in a desert, when we feel like we're all alone, no water, no food, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, Job, when, when all of his stuff was taken, uh, the enemy approached God the Father and said, if you strike your hand against him, he will curse you to your face. And we see Job's response to that in Job chapter 1. After all of his stuff had been taken, after his family had been killed, God's word says he worshiped. He worshiped, and he specifically said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So this morning, I want us to join our hearts, no matter where you're at this morning, and let's say together, Blessed be the name of our God. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be 
can have a seat. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. I wanted to share uh, a story that happened in my life two and a half weeks ago, and I hope it encourages you like it did me um, as I share it this morning. I've shared before, sometimes we, uh, we go to our quiet time, and then others our quiet time, other times our quiet time comes to us. God comes to us graciously and ministers to us in our time of need. We weren't looking for it. He just comes to us and graciously ministers. About two and a half weeks ago, I'm in the middle of a sales conference at the Winfrey Hotel in lovely Hoover, Alabama. And it was the last day of the conference. Uh, We were three days in. It was on a Friday morning. And on that day, everything's kind of laid back. Everybody's shutting down their booths. And uh, I was doing that. I was breaking down my booth. And um, out of the corner of my eye, right, kind of coming from the right, I saw this towering figure. If you guys would put that photo up, I saw a towering figure. As you can see, I'm six foot tall. That man's probably six six. He's built like Brent Mizell. Uh, big man um, heading my direction. But I noticed specifically, that's a big man, but he's walking uh, with some, some, some trouble, difficulty walking. And I had the thought in that moment, I wonder if this guy has CMT. So many of you guys know my daughter two years ago was diagnosed with a neurological disorder called CMT. It affects her feet, her legs, her ability to to walk easily. And I just had this thought, I wonder if that guy has CMT. Now understand, one in 2,500 people in the United States has CMT. It's a rare disorder, rare disease. But I had that thought. I didn't think anything more of it. But five minutes later, that towering figure walks up to my table, and we're making small talk like salespeople do, and he says, uh, you guys win the most colorful booth. Your booth rocks, you know, it looks great. And so we're just, it's just small talk. And the Lord had other plans because about two minutes into that conversation, he proceeded to tell me that he was from California. He and his wife had moved from California to Montgomery, and it very quickly turned to the Lord. And he said, you know, I'm from California. There's no God out there. And he kind of laughed. And uh, he said, my wife and I ended up in Montgomery, Alabama, 30 years ago, 
And as a result of being in Montgomery, Alabama, our children, as they were going to church, we began going to church. And we heard the gospel, and we received the gospel, and we became Christians. So now this turns into a small talk to fellowship. You guys with me so far? It's fellowship at this point. And at that time, I felt the freedom to ask the question. Um, Or I didn't ask the question. I made a statement. I said, you know, my daughter was diagnosed with CMT. It's a rare neurological disorder. About two years ago, and my family and I, we've gone through a pretty difficult time with it. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, I have CMT. And in that moment, um, it became apparent to me that my God had come to me to minister to me. And uh, he began speaking God's truth into my heart that he said, I'll never forget. He said, God is going to use your daughter in ways she can't fathom. And it was as if Jesus Christ himself was telling me, hey, I'm, I'm here. I've got you. These circumstances haven't come your way by chance. I've got a, I've got a plan. And I'm going to work that perfect plan. And you can trust it. You can trust it. So why do I share this with my church this morning? I want to read a psalm. It's a little lengthy, so you guys hang with me. But I want you to understand how great and glorious is our God that he thinks of us. Psalm 139. It's a psalm of David. And David says, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Listen to this. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. On down in verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. And then David says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Guys, the Lord is mindful of us. And that blows my mind. He's mindful of us in, in the most detailed situations. I'm in the middle of a sales conference in Hoover, Alabama, and God said, I'm about to interrupt your day with some truth. That is the God we serve. All right, so let's, uh, let's just join our hearts when we're saying how great is our God.
in life darkness tries to hide it trembles at his voice it trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all see how great, how great is our God. Age to age. Age to age he stands. And time is in his hands. Beginning and the end. Beginning
he's been leading a song the last uh, probably year and a half. And it's simply called The Blessing. It's called The Blessing. And um, the chorus of that song simply says, Amen. And I don't know if you're like me, but I was curious. I was like, what in the world? When we say amen, what are we saying? What, we say that all the time when we, after we pray. And what does that mean? And um, the word, um, it has kind of two connotations. Um, one of them says, so be it. So after you and I have heard truth or we're, um, we're singing a song like this, we may say amen. And we're basically saying, so be it. But the other side of amen says, Lord, we believe. It has an element of faith to it. It says, God, we trust you for what you've said you're going to do. And so I would like for us, um, just for a few moments, just to declare that together, to say with our hearts, Lord, amen. We trust you. We believe you. So be it. Whatever you have in our lives, um, so be it. But he's going to lead us. Thank you, Kevin and B and Carson. It's great to see a young man up here uh, with these two more mature men. Like they're getting older, that's the bottom line. Much do you love the Lord? <clears throat> it's one of those questions that when you come to this section in 1 John chapter 2, you're forced to ask yourself. It's a theme, the theme of love, that's repeated in this book, in this epistle. It's one that must be front and center for us as Christians. I think we throw around the word love a lot. The question becomes... How much do we love the Lord? Is that possible to even know? Is it measurable in our lives to know how much indeed we truly love 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I know for me, uh, when there's missions conference, there's two weeks kind of just, I get to sit out there where you are and I get to enjoy the speakers and I get to just sit. Last week, I, I cooked hamburgers and I just absolutely loved it. I called Eddie the day before, texted Eddie the day before on that Saturday and said, Eddie, I don't want to stand up in the front. I don't want to open. I don't want to close. I don't want to say good morning and have a good afternoon. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to be among the people. It's good for a pastor to do that because you get a different perspective. So last, uh, two weeks ago, I sat in here and I thought, how in the world do these people sit in here and listen to me and not want to just get up and leave? <laughs> don't tell me you might want to actually get up and leave. Um, there's just so much responsibility when it comes to opening the Word of God. I don't take it lightly and as I come to this section, it just, it really um, kind of drilled me in terms of measurement as it relates to loving the Lord. Um, and, and, and if you study First John, I mean, he'll present a theme and then he goes back and he does it again. And in case you needed to hear it again, he'll, he'll go back and do it again. He, he just adds as he goes. And so he doesn't kind of let you off the hook. I'm going to address the issue of love, and this is the only time I'm going to address it. He addresses it, but then he continues to do it again and, and again. And, and you're like, okay, hold on a second. Give me a break. But in the reality of it, we need to continue to be reminded as Christians over and over and over again what it truly is to live the Christian life. What does that involve? So I want to read this section again, and then I want to have a word of prayer as we begin and break down these verses, all right? Lord, um, I just want to pray that as we um, come to read this section of Scripture, as we consider what's in front of us, that, that Lord, your Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives, and that we would really, today, take a look pretty heavily at at our love for you. What does that look like in our lives? And I pray that your spirit would lead us and would guide us into all the truth this morning in the name of Christ. Amen. Verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. You'll notice the title of the message this morning is They Go Together. What goes together? Well, salt and pepper go together. Peanut butter and jelly go together. Oreo cookies and milk, they go together. Kraut and weenies, they go together. I've never had kraut and weenies. And by the grace of God, I'll never have them touch these lips. I think we're going to come to see in this section that loving the Lord and keeping his word goes together. 
that one who loves the Lord keeps his word. Perfectly? No. But John does address the issue that loving the Lord and keeping his word goes together. We need to address verses 3 and 4 as we come to verse 5 where he's specific as it relates to loving the Lord and keeping his word. I'm giving you an outline and one that you can follow, I hope. And he begins in verse 3 with what I've entitled an intense knowledge. Uh, You may, that's not it. Graves into gardens. I don't know where that came from. All right, here it is. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So you have to kind of break that down. He says, by this, what is this? Those who hold a relationship view here really need to know what this is. Because it would be, and they would argue, the basis of their assurance that one of the ways that you can know that the Lord Jesus is your Savior is that you keep his commandments. But the question becomes, is that what he's saying? And as we've already run into in this book, there are two different viewpoints as to how people come into the book of 1 John. Is it more about relationship with the Lord or is it more about fellowship with the Lord? So he says, by this. Well, we ask the question, what is this? And if you go to the end of the verse, he tells you. This refers to if we keep his commandments. So it could read this way. If we keep his commandments, by this we know that we know him. Well, I have some questions for those who hold this to be a relationship verse, a verification of one's relationship with the Lord. Is keeping his commandments the believer's assurance of salvation? It's a question. But it's one that must be considered. Can we know, apart from keeping his commandments, that we belong to him? Answer, yes, we can. Did John include himself in this statement? Answer, yes, he did. The personal pronoun we is used. John was already saved when he wrote this. So was his audience. And those of us who are in Christ today, we're saved. And the assurance that we have comes from the fact that when one is saved, the Spirit of God does what? He seals us until the day of redemption. True? True. Twice in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians believers, you have been sealed by the Spirit. That's pretty great assurance. What's the focus of that assurance? The Spirit of God. What's the focus of this assurance if this is assurance? What I do. What are we going to land on? What the Spirit has done or what we do? I'm going to go with what the Spirit has done. The point of salvation 
at the point of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was sealed by the Spirit of God. So I would ask one who has the relationship view, is this the assurance for the believer? Can we know apart from keeping his commandments that we belong to him? And then, that's not even the third question, what commandments? What commandments? If this is my assurance, what are the commandments? Is that a good question? I think so. If, if this is part of the assurance of my salvation, then I sure need to understand what commandments John's talking about. So those are just questions that I would have for those that have that view. You say, yeah, but you have to deal with the word no in the text. Well, we do. In fact, he uses it twice. Notice what it says. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That word know is the word gnosko. It means to know by experience. It means to know deeply someone. It's a deep, intense knowledge. What's interesting is that that knowledge of him is even intensified by the second use of that word know. You can't see it in the English. But in the Greek, the first term is in the perfect tense. I mean, the first term is in the present tense. The second term is in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense describes something that is intense, something that is deep. Okay, so, what's he saying? I believe that he's saying that we can know that we have come to know him deeply as we keep his commandments. In other words, he's not talking about regeneration. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about the fellowship. I can know that I know him deeply by keeping his commandments. Now, it's important that we're um, fair um, because there's obviously some of you in this room that may hold the relationship viewpoint. And there's two different viewpoints, as I've said, and Jay Ligon Duncan and John MacArthur, John Piper would be those that hold to this view and others. Um, so we certainly want to be fair to those who um, do proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the test of relationship view says this. If we keep his commandments, it proves that we know him as our Savior. Um, J. Ligon Duncan wrote this. He is saying here, here's how we can know him, the living God. We know that we know him, relationship, if we keep God's commandments. He says here, the author who is John is concerned to supply tests that will distinguish from those who claim to be Christians versus those who are really Christians. So he's saying there are some that claim to be Christians, but because they don't keep his commandments, then they don't belong to the Lord. Um, I was looking at my own life when I was going through this, and I'm like, wow, I got saved when I was seven. I came to relationship with Jesus Christ when I was seven years old. You know when I was introduced to the commands of the Lord? Along the way. 
How about you? Immediately, did you know all the things that the Lord had for you? I didn't. In fact, you know, when I became a teenager, I remember getting a youth pastor in named Jim Pence, and all of a sudden he's drilling down on us and saying, hey, look, this is the way the Lord wants you to live. And it wasn't the first time that I heard how the Lord wanted me to live, but it was the first time I was paying attention. And I was like, well, I didn't know that. And so what about when I was seven years old? Was I saved? I was saved. What was the assurance of that? The Spirit of God sealed me the very moment I was saved. I was placed into Christ, forever His. You believe that? Do you believe that? Because there's, there's a large movement out there of people who are trying to inspect to see if those who say they belong to Christ belong to Christ. You know what I believe we should do? We should look at our own lives first, right? Hey, how am I living the Christian life? If I've come to know him, how am I living that life? But Duncan and others hold this view, and so um, that's the first view, the test of relationship view. Um, and they're saying that the author's trying to distinguish between those who truly uh, belong to the Lord and those who claim they do. Test of fellowship view is if we keep his commandments, it proves that we have an intense fellowship with the Lord. Should we pay attention as believers to the commands of the Lord? Answer, yes, we should. We're going to look at some of that in just a few minutes. So in this view, David Anderson, along with J. Dwight Pentecost, um, Chuck Swindoll, and others, say that John is saying that when the believer chooses to obey his commandments, notice that word chooses. Do you believe you choose to obey? Something to think about. I believe I choose to obey. I know this, growing up, I either chose to obey my father or I didn't. What happens when I don't obey my father? Back in the day, it was spankings. Children choose all the time. Guess what? Adults choose all the time. (laughs) So he says... Anderson does. He is saying that when the believer chooses to obey his commandments, and by the way, just as a side note, as the commandments of the Lord are revealed to us, as we come to understand what the will of the Lord is for us in the New Testament, um, we're responsible for those things. Once you're introduced to it, like, for example, introduced to loving your wife as Christ loved the church, then we're responsible for that. Understanding that the Lord wants wholesome words spoken from us, we're responsible for it. Can we agree on that? Once we've been told from God's word, hey, this is what God wants, then we're responsible for that. That doesn't mean we're standing up going, man, this sounds great. I tell you something, though, we can live victorious Christian lives in those things as we yield ourselves to the Spirit 
of God. He says he is saying that when the believer chooses to obey his commandments, a deeper fellowship with God is available. The emphasis is on fellowship, which I've said, and I'll continue to say until I'm done with 1 John, that particular issue is not discussed enough in the church. And what I mean by that is you can have a married couple, right, married for years, make the statement, I don't know that I really knew that person. You're like, hold on a second. They were married for 40 years. How can they not know that person? Well, to a degree, they did know that person. They were married to that person. But I'm talking about a deep, intense knowledge of that person. You say, Thad, can that happen in a marriage where a couple is married for years and doesn't know one another? You answer that. Is that possible? It's possible. They've sat in front of me. It's possible. So this issue of fellowship is critical. The emphasis on fellowship, not relationship. It is not a test of whether a person is born again. It is a test of whether a person is having close fellowship with the Lord. So the question for us this morning, one of them, is are we having close fellowship with the Lord? Are we mindful of his commands? And if we're mindful of his commands, then we need to obey his commands. So in verse 3, he talks about this intense knowledge. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Then he moves to verse 4. Where he says this, he moves from an intense knowledge to a false claim. The one who says, I have come to know him. Now this word know is in the same tense that the second usage in verse 3, same tense. It's in the perfect tense. So it means to know deeply, to know intensely. It's the same term, gnosko. But it is in the perfect tense. Um, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him in this, with this deep, intense knowledge and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, if you're reading that and you have the relational viewpoint, you're looking at that and going, hey, that's some strong language. Yeah, it is. Just a question. Has anyone ever asked you how your relationship is going with the Lord and you say it's going great? But you're not being honest. Or pose the question to you, how is your fellowship with the Lord? Are you close to him? And you say, yes, I'm close to him. They might phrase it either way, but they mean fellowship. Because a lot of people don't use the word fellowship. They'll just say, how's your relationship with the Lord? Right? But I'm going to throw out the word fellowship. How is your fellowship with the Lord? Have you ever answered that question in a dishonest manner? Where the person on the other side is expecting you to say, it's great. When in reality, it's not so great. 
Well, he uses some strong terms here. He says, the person who claims that they are in a deep closeness with the Lord, but they're not because they're not keeping his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, That word liar is a very important word and so is the word truth. The word liar means one who falsifies information. It means one who misleads another. I'm not looking for a show of hands, but have you ever misled someone? Have you ever falsified information? I'm not sure whose hands wouldn't go up. That happens. The sad part is, in this context, I think it can happen with a believer who's saying, I'm close to the Lord, but they're not really close to the Lord. And so you have, at times, believers who falsify information, who maybe mislead others, maybe because of embarrassment. Maybe because they're like, I don't think this person really wants to know the truth. Because if they ask me, how's my fellowship with the Lord, and I was honest, I would say it's not really good. I'm not paying attention to his word. It could be something like that. The word truth there is important too. It has the idea of sincerity or straightforwardness. Have you ever been insincere? Have you ever not been straightforward? I think we'd all have to answer yeah to those questions. The conclusion I put out there in your notes, and I think it's a good way to kind of conclude it, The conclusion is that the one is misleading others. This is a verbal claim. But they're misleading others and not being straightforward. Now you look at that and you go, man, that's tough stuff. It is. What if I told you last week, it's a hypothetical that I really wasn't that close to the Lord in my walk with him. How are you hearing that? What if you looked at my life and said, man, you know, Thad, the last three weeks, he hadn't done what God said in this area, this area, this area, and this area. Well, he might not be saved. You know what I think John is doing? He's getting the attention of the believer. That's what he's doing. And he's talking about the importance of this intimacy with the Lord. That we need to have it. We don't need to be like some who claim they're close but aren't close. Now, again, there's two different viewpoints of how people view verse 4. I don't know if I put these. Yes, I did. Test of relationship view says that because the one is not observing the commandments, they are not a believer. Again, I have the same questions that I had before. What commandments? How do you measure that? Why didn't John just list them out? Notice it's plural there. I think I put in your notes there's a distinction when you get down to verse 7. 
and 8, commandment is singular. But here in verses 3 and 4, it's plural. What commandments, John, are you referring to? If this is part of my assurance as a believer. Guys, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly glad that it's not, my salvation is not based on works in any form or fashion. It is by the grace of God. I believe there are, and I was sharing this with Steve Bartlett earlier today, I believe there are a lot of frustrated Christians out there, I do believe that, who sit in churches, and I want you to hear this well, that every single week, all they do is present the gospel. Now, I want you to hear this right. It's important to present the gospel. Can we agree on that? But it's important to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? Now, what this message this morning is going to do is challenge us in relationship to what? Our walk with the Lord. Now, I hope all of you know the Lord. But the primary focal point in this message today has to do with believers who need to be in fellowship with the Lord. But there are some that hold that view, that because the one is not observing the commandments, they are not a believer. The second viewpoint is the test of fellowship view. Because the one is not observing the commandments, they are not close with the Lord. All right, well, let's go to verse 5. Because I believe verse 5 kind of holds the key to unlocking the future sections as it relates to what John is saying about keeping the word and love. Look at verse 5. It says, But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. But whoever keeps his word... Notice, you wonder why John wouldn't write this. But whoever keeps his word has come to know that he knows him. Why wouldn't he write that? It would make sense in the context of what he's already said, would it not? Why all of a sudden the change? Because John's point has to do primarily with keeping his word and loving him. So he says, But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Keeps is a very important term that we need to understand. The word keeps, I gave you a definition there, but I added something to it in my notes. The word keeps means to guard or to watch over. It can mean to fulfill. It, it certainly can mean to attend carefully to something, and that's the primary definition. To attend carefully to something. The word was used in that culture of a sentry walking his post. He had to pay attention to everything around him. You understand what John's doing? Just as a sentry had to pay attention to everything around him, the believer needs to pay attention to what? The word. 
How much of it? All of it. Isn't it interesting how John transitions from commandments to word? That's interesting to me. Commandments, commandments, word. His word. The entire word. We have a benefit in our day and age. We have the full revelation of the Lord, don't we? So we understand as we come to study God's word, what he expects of us as believers. So he says, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. That word love there describes selfless and sacrificial love. There's a little bit of debate as to whether or not John is referring to God's love for us or our love for the Lord. I tend to agree with Warren Wiersbe who says that obedience to God's word is proof of our love for him. I I think that's what he's talking about. But I also believe that the Lord is involved in helping us love. Does that make sense? It's not like we're loving in our own strength. But when I'm walking by the Spirit, then what happens? What's produced in my life? The fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love. It's peace and patience, all those things. But love, love's produced... As I'm yielded to the Spirit of the Lord. And so I believe primarily that John here is talking about what happens in us. That as we are loving the Lord, then we're mindful of His Word. Does that make sense? You say, Dad, I always love the Lord. Well, that's the answer we give. Is it not? Someone, if I walked up to you and said, do you love the Lord? Yeah, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But part of that love for the Lord, can it be measured? Apparently so. Because John says, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly what? Perfected. That word perfected means matured. He's talking about a mature believer. A mature believer looks like this. It's a person who... Keeps the word because he loves the Lord. He does what the Lord says. Why? Because he loves the Lord. That's a hard subject. Can I just be honest with you? That's a hard subject. Because if you were to ask me this morning, Thad, do you love the Lord? My answer is yes. Am I always obedient to his word? The answer is no. But I need to have the mind of that. The mind of love and the mind of obedience. It's interesting that John, in John's gospel, we're told about this love as it relates to commandments and to the word. Jesus said, now remember, this is very important. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But down toward verse 29, 30, 
of John 13, Judas leaves the room. And I know that many of you went through that upper room discourse and you kind of made observations and you were studying that. And hopefully that was one of your observations. Because when Judas leaves the room, do you know what the first phrase is that it, the Lord uses? John 13, after Judas leaves the room, it says, verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And then he begins to address them as little children. He does not do that before Judas leaves. So what we read here, it's about fellowship, not salvation. Okay, he's in the upper room with those that are close to him, the eleven. And so he tells the eleven, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, if you're one of those guys in the room, you're like, whoa. I mean, how many things has the Lord told us just in this short period of time that we've been with him? Then in verse 21, he who has my commandments and what keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Then verses 23 and 24, if anyone loves me, he will what? Keep my word. Do you love the Lord? So when someone asks that question now, maybe we ought to think about that a little bit. A, bit, a little bit more maybe. Do I love the fact that the Lord Jesus died for me? I do all day long. Every day. I know people who've been in rebellion. You do too. And they surely don't look the part. I mean, in fact, some are judging and say, well, they, they really don't belong to the Lord. But maybe you've known this person, just for the sake of example, and you've known their testimony for 30 years. And not only did they know the Lord, but they were, they were just active in following him and, and serving him. And, and then all of a sudden, they get off the trail, and you're like, what happened? Well, they must not belong to the Lord. Or is it their love for the Lord certainly has diminished? Could we say that? We could say that. There have been people that have walked off the trail for years. I've been in discussions with these people. In fact, I asked one man two questions. This man walked away from the Lord, no doubt a believer, in my mind, and I say that not based on his works. I say that based on his testimony in terms of sharing with me how he came to know Christ and upholding the gospel. Okay? Not, well, he had 20 years of service in Awana and no, it wasn't any of that. I asked this man two questions. He was away from the Lord for a long period of time. Back in fellowship with the Lord now. Isn't that a great end to the story? 
But I asked him two questions. I said, number one, I said, if someone walked up to you and said, is Jesus Christ Lord during your rebellion, what would you have said? He said, all day long I'd have said, he is Lord. And then I said, hey, how many times did you wake up not knowing what you were doing? Not one day. You know what the expectation, I think, sometimes of the believing church is in the lives of other people? Perfection. It's not going to happen. Not this side of glory. I know this without entering into your living room. I have enough to work on in my Christian life. You remember what Paul told the church? He said, work out your salvation in what? Fear and trembling. He does not say work for it, but work it out. If I don't pay attention, especially now that growing season's coming, weeds can get out of control. How many of you know that? How many of you already walked outside and thought, uh, it's coming? What's coming? Weeding's coming. Mowing's coming. Hey, but it doesn't take long, does it? Man, it just grows like crazy. You'll drive down the driveway one day and it's up just a little bit and then you drive down the driveway the next day and it's like grown two feet. Weeds grow and they grow quickly. If we're not yielded to the Spirit, guys, we can get on this slippery slope downward and grow away from fellowship with our Lord. I want to close with my own personal testimony. That'll be all right. I don't know how many of you even heard it, other than the salvation piece. I got saved when I was seven through Child Evangelism Fellowship. Tremendous Christian organization. When I was 13 years old, I was challenged at a youth meeting about living the Christian life. And then when my youth pastor Jim came, I'll never forget. The first thing he told us as youth were that we were going to need our Bibles and a concordance. I thought, this is youth group, dude. You're going to need a Bible and a concordance. And he provided the concordance. We brought our Bibles. And so as I began to study, I began to understand a little better. Only because Jim was leading us. Wow, there's a lot to this Christian life. And then my dad, when I was graduating from high school, came outside. I was out washing my 1977 Ford Pinto. Two-tone, beautiful. It was the ugliest piece of machinery you've ever seen. It, had four, it was a four-speed, though. And I would like to say that thing could get up and go, but that didn't Hanging downhill, that's right. He said, son, and I never 
really understood till years later how important this would have, was for my life. He said, I want you to go to Bible college for a year. I don't care what else you do with your life, but you're going to Bible college for a year. And I was like, all right, I'll go. So I came to Southeastern Bible College in 1982, and I was introduced to Teresa, the freshman sophomore retreat. Look at her, she's like, what am I going to say next? <laughs> this year will be 37 years that we'll be married in June. I was introduced to George Morange and Dr. Hughley and Dr. Gannett and Dr. Talley. And then came Dr. Wex, Dr. Atkins, Mr. Greek. All these men. And you know what they did every class? They opened this book. And you know what I got more familiar with? Not only how wonderful my salvation was, but what God expected of me. Asked Malcolm Cooper. He was my roommate. There were several things our freshman year we were challenged in. That I guess we had heard before, but hadn't really penetrated. And it was like, Wow. And it wasn't the issue of needing to be saved, but it was the issue of needing to walk according to God's word. And then I was introduced to men at Faith Chapel where we went to church. I've been so blessed to have so many men in my life who challenged me in my walk with the Lord. You say, okay, Thad, that's a good ending to the story. Let me give you something. It hasn't ended. I still have men who challenge me that are sitting right here in this room about my walk with the Lord. You say, yeah, but you're the pastor. So, even more so, they should challenge me in my walk with the Lord. You know, one of the things that's happened in my life as a preacher and a teacher of God's word, I realize, and this might, I don't know how this is going to sound to you, but every time I open another section of scripture, I realize how equipped and ill-equipped I am. I have the spirit of the living God who teaches me, who leads me, but I have a whole lot of room for growth in my love life for the Lord and my obedience to him. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many, at times, technical things that we can get caught up in and reading your word, and I think that's good. Um, I think John was indeed trying to get the attention of the believers that he wrote to. They were facing a lot of challenges in their day, just like we do in ours. Lord, one of the great challenges that we have as believers, if we know you, is the way that we live each day. Measuring our love for you 
You know, I can say to my wife, I love you. Those are words. But what's going on that would give evidence to that love? To that closeness? Lord, as I think about that challenge, and I think how much more challenging is it? When I think about loving you, that can be measured in my life. My love for you can be measured by keeping your word and the things that you've given through your word to me and to every other believer in this room. Lord, we need your help. We cannot walk alone. And I'm thankful you have not designed it that we would. You told your own disciples that you, would, you were with them and that you would be in them. So we are thankful for the Spirit of God that indwells us. We're thankful that we don't walk alone when we face the challenges that come about in the Christian life. Help us never to have the mind that we've arrived. Lord, help us to have the mind that we need to be taught more and more about who you are and what you've done for us so that indeed when others look at us, they go, wow. You really do love the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our testimony each and every day. That we would be careful to do the things that bring honor and glory to you. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Notice that I could have a few minutes, and normally uh, Thad goes until quarter of. And whenever I'm, I had the opportunity to speak. Uh, he always says, "Make sure you get done at quarter of." But I just want to give a little reflection on the missions conference, if that's you don't mind. You know, one of the most important things that was uh, <clears throat> brought to our attention during that mission conference was the ministry that this couple had to other missionaries. And uh, when, when the missionary was sitting down, I raised my hand. I said, I got a question, but it was already, already too late. My question was going to be, as a result of when I, when I went to the field, I was always told that the lifespan or the longevity of a career missionary that goes to the field is only seven years. You realize that? A person goes to the field and he's going to be a career missionary and, it's, and it ends up being seven years. Well, I, I kind of mess up the, the ratio a bit since Judy and I have been on the field for 53 years. But uh, I really appreciate the fact that our mission gives whenever we, uh, every year when missionaries come home on furlough, we have a missions uh, a refresher course. And it's just about those things that 
Thad was talking about this morning. And uh, when I went to the field, I was I went to the field as a technician to do linguistics. And I would not doubt that if I asked you this morning if you have ever doubted your salvation, every single one of us would raise our hand. And I remember the time I was teaching, uh, <clears throat> uh, doing a uh, translation check on the Gospel of, uh, I believe it was the Gospel of John, where it says, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. And one of our, one of our guys, he said, oh, that's a good verse for eternal security. This is one of the guys that had a little bit more education and he had a little bit of Bible school training. And he said, oh, that's a good verse for eternal security. And so Arsenio says, what's eternal security? Well, I said, uh, in America, there's a lot of Christians that are not sure of their salvation. He said, uh, those aren't Christians. Are those Christians, he says? You said they're Christians that are not sure of their salvation. I said, well, yeah, it's complicated. I said, well, why did you say that they're not Christian? He says, because when you came here and you taught us that we were guilty before God, that we deserved nothing but God's wrath and judgment, and there was absolutely nothing that we could do to please God and get out of that situation of our guilt before God and being accountable and deserving God's punishment. But then when you taught us that Jesus came and what he did and what he accomplished on our behalf, satisfied God, and when we place our trust in him, we know we're Christians. And because that's what we're trusting in, we know we're, we're believers. We know we're Christians. But he says, but if, if somebody doesn't know he's Christian, he's got to be trusting in something else. And very often what, we, what I did when I was, I, I struggled with my salvation until I was about half, uh, half through my uh, first term on the field. And uh, when I was in, uh, you know, I, the first time I asked Jesus to come into my heart uh, was, uh, you know, maybe third grade. And uh, I went through a flannel graph um, teaching where they put a heart on the flannel graph and then they put snakes in there and rocks. And, and these are all the things that are in your heart. And if you ask Jesus to come in your heart, he'll take, uh, you know, all that away. And, and we, we tell people our, set, our conversion story and how the gospel has changed our lives. And, and then we tell them that uh, if they ask Jesus into their lives, that, you know, that uh, God will change them. Well, they, they pray that prayer and, and uh, you know, they, they wake up like I did. Uh, when I 
asked Jesus to come into my heart. I, the next day I got up and I was the same rotten kid I always was. And uh, now maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe uh, there's a step, uh, you know, and maybe I need to get find some of these tracks. And some of them say there's three steps. Some of them say there's six steps. Some of them say there's... Uh, and I think that I didn't want to trans... I didn't want to import that kind of thing to our folks. And that's why I was reluctant to ever teach. But when I found out that the missionaries that were there were never going to learn the language, I realized that it was my responsibility. If these people were going to hear the gospel, they're going to have to hear it through me. And so uh, I started studying. And I realized that even when the folks came and said, we want to translate the Jesus film into your language. And I said, no, we're not ready for that. Because you can present this Jesus film and by the time the, the, the film is over, there's no way that the people are going to understand why that man had to die. If they don't come first of all and, and see themselves guilty, deserving God's wrath and judgment and absolutely helpless to do anything about it. So they approached a lot of our missionaries with new tribes and they got the same answer. So what they did, they put the creation all the way up to Abraham and his sacrifice and that he was going to sacrifice his son and, and then the promise of one coming and that made all the difference in the world. And then that Jesus film, with that introduction, gives the answer to why it was necessary for Christ to pay the penalty for sin. And uh, so these missionaries that uh, shared uh, that their ministry with other missionaries is really important. And uh, that was that was something that I just want. Uh, as a just a little reflection on the missions uh, program, to pray for our missionaries on the field, that uh, they would have the the message uh, and present it in such a way that people have that assurance of their salvation. Hey, we needed to hear that, right? That's what this song is actually about. <clears throat> this song is reminds me of what a pastor used to say. My wife and I went to a church 20 years ago, um, and every time the pastor would finish the prayer, I'll never forget, he'd say, you're the greatest and the best. And this song, the chorus says, there's nothing better than you. And I know in my life, as the Lord continues to grow me, um, I can come to the conclusion more and more and more God, life only comes from you through Jesus the Son. Some of us will spend a lifetime trying to get life out of relationships. Uh, I know for many years I tried to get life out of my job and it never satisfied. Sometimes we get it out, trying to get it out of our spouse. 
That is a burdensome task to try to get life from your spouse. They can't give you life. The only person that can give life is Jesus. And that's what this song is about. So I want you guys, if you know it, sing along. If you don't, listen to it because in two weeks, you guys are going to be singing with us, okay? And I searched the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade are never enough And then you came along And put me back together And every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Sing, there's nothing And there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you Lord, there's nothing Nothing is better than you And I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and faults Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me friend Because the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley And there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better. Turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. Turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. There's nothing.
There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Thank you, guys. That's uh, quite a message. There's nothing better than the Lord. You know, young people, I want to encourage you about something. That's a process that you'll, you'll come to know that one day. Um, I think that we expect people to sing that and believe that right away. But there is nothing better than the Lord. And you come to learn that, I believe, as a believer. And um, once you do, even through the hardships, you say, there is nothing better than you, Lord. Uh, I want to encourage um, you guys today to continue to pray for Ukraine, for the church there in Ukraine. and There's just so much that uh, we could say, but we need to pray for that country and for its leadership and for the church there in Ukraine and the people who are invested there. So let's uh, stand and we'll close together and then you can be dismissed. Lord, we're mindful this morning of the believers in Ukraine. We're mindful of the unbelievers in Ukraine because they need you, Lord. And uh, literally everything they have on this earth is being stripped from them. So when we sing something like, there's nothing better than you, they're, they're facing everything being stripped away from them. And for the Christians there, they're coming to understand that in a real way. We pray for the church there in Ukraine, for the missionaries in Ukraine that are there, and we just pray your protection for them. God, we just um, we see everything going on, and we're mindful that you're coming for us. And so we are thankful for that, and I pray that um, as you um, come, Lord, that you would find us uh, busy sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be mindful today as we leave of measuring our love for you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.